When you think about the resurrection, uh, there's no question, or even Christianity, for example, I think there's no question about the fact that it is uniquely different from all the other religions of the world. Just get some thought to that. It's uniquely different than all the other religions of the world, and especially in two different ways. First uh, is that Christianity's founder, and that's what we've been celebrating this morning, its founder, the Lord Jesus Christ, was put to death, and he rose from the dead never to die again. That's what makes it profound in that the founder of Christianity died, physically died, and was raised from the dead and never died again. But the second unique difference is that all those who put their faith in this resurrected Lord and Savior have transformed lives and receive eternal life. That's a joy to my heart because I know I'm a sinner. And I come to the Lord and say, I want you to come into my heart and save me. I'm trusting what you did on the cross for me. And in doing that, I have such peace with God, even though I'm still a sinner, to know that my sins have been completely covered by the Lord Jesus Christ, penalty paid in full, and that I now possess eternal life. Yes, I'll probably die physically, but immediately I'll be in the presence of the Lord. That's what the scriptures say. And that makes Christianity very, very unique. You see, you cannot meet Jesus, the risen Christ, and not be changed. That's absolutely true. You cannot meet Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the risen Christ, and not be changed. And this Easter Sunday, when we celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection, we're going to see just how true that statement is. And you cannot meet Jesus, the risen Christ, and not be changed. And we're going to begin this morning with somebody who first met him after he came out of that tomb, out of that grave. You have an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to fill it in. The only reason I suggest you do that is we're going to be talking about principles this morning. I'm going to give you some principles. And somewhere along the line, one of those principles is going to be valuable to you. It's going to be very, very important to you. So if you want to use your bulletin and that outline there, you certainly can. Well, the very first person who met the Lord Jesus Christ when he came out of that tomb was Mary of Magdalene. That's the first one that met him. All four Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mention her. And they give us four basic statements about Mary, who was from the area of Magdala. First, prior to Jesus' resurrection and during his earthly ministry, when Mary first met Jesus, she was being controlled by seven demons, seven fallen angels were in that woman's body, if you please. And Jesus cast all seven of those out when she met him. And then she, with some of the women, began to follow him with his disciples. The second thing we're told in the Gospels about Mary Magdalene was that when Jesus was crucified, along with Jesus' mother, she was there, and Salome was there as well, the mother of James and John, and stayed near the cross. So that's the second thing the Gospels tell us about Mary of Magdalene. The third thing is that when Jesus was taken down from the cross and placed in Joseph of Arimathea's new tomb, we are told that Mary Magdalene was there looking on to see where he was laid. And the fourth thing, the Gospels tell us she came, that is, that she came out to the tomb early Sunday morning and discovered the guards gone and the stone rolled away and Jesus' body missing. Then she ran back and told Peter and John who came and examined the situation and then they returned back to where they were staying much perplexed. But Mary, but Mary stayed at the tomb weeping. It was then that Jesus appeared to her 
We read in the scripture, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus was lying. I think that would have caught my attention, you know. I mean, two angels in the tomb there. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. This is beautiful. At that point, Jesus said to her, Mary. And immediately upon calling her name, she knew who it was. She turned and said to him, Rabboni. And then a scripture says, and Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. Because she was so excited that she saw Jesus knowing he was raised from the dead. Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go and tell my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. That's the first one to see him. I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. You see, when you consider even these few statements in the scripture about Mary Magdalene, a couple of principles come to your mind and heart. The first one I want to share with you is this. To be forgiven much is to love much. To be forgiven little is to love little. One day, Jesus was invited by a Pharisee to come to his home for dinner. And an unusual thing happened, very unusual thing, because, you know, at that time they didn't sit around the table and chairs, they reclined. And while he and the Pharisee and others were around that table, in came a woman of ill repute. They called her a sinner in the Bible. I mean, she crashed the party. They dared come, or she dared come, she came in there, and immediately she began to weep over the feet of Jesus. And she had the perfume, and she put the perfume on his feet, and she began to weep on the, over his feet, and she dried the, the, uh, his feet with her hair, and she began kissing her, his, hair, his feet. And when Simon saw this, he was aghast. He could not believe this. He said in his heart, now he said in his heart, not out loud, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. That meant a woman of the street. At that point, Jesus told Simon a parable. He said, Simon, there were two people a money lender had given some money to, and they found they could not pay it back. One owed 500 denarii, that is 500 days worth of work, and he could not pay the money back. Another owed 50 denarii, and he forgave both of them. Which do you think will love him the most? And Simon readily understood the answer. He knew the answer. He said, well, obviously the one who had been forgiven the most. And Jesus then applied the principle he said to her. He said, "Uh, this woman has come to me. I came to your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't provide a towel to dry them off. But this woman, since I have been here, has come and she's anointed my feet with her with her oil. You didn't anoint my head with oil at all. And she has uh, used her tears to wash my feet and has used her hair to dry them off and has kissed her. You see, she's been forgiven much. And then he goes on in this story. Let me find it here. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven you. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And you know what we've learned after that? Right after that event, we're introduced to Mary of Magdalene. I can't but wonder whether maybe she was the woman who came in and he cast out those seven demons. And he said, To be forgiven much is to love much. To be forgiven little is to love little. That's a good principle. And we need to think about our sinfulness, our pride, our selfishness. How often we fail the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so thankful you went to that cross and bore all my sin and bore all my deserved punishment, my judgment. Oh, how thankful I am. Oh, how I love you because you did that for me. If you want to increase your love and devotion for Jesus, the risen Savior, be like Mary. Consider your sins and how much you have been forgiven by him. But there's a second principle that stands out from Mary Magdalene's life, and that's principle number two. Genuine devotion to Jesus will always be greatly rewarded, both now and throughout all eternity. Let me say it again. Genuine devotion to Jesus will always be greatly rewarded both now and throughout all eternity. It is Jesus' great joy to have us love Him and love Him deeply. And Mary had such love that she was the one that early in the morning, she couldn't leave that tomb. She couldn't leave that body, even though she knew that He had died and was placed in that tomb. She couldn't get away from that. And God honored that. God blessed her by letting her be the very first one He revealed Himself to after His resurrection. There's a story told about a very wealthy man who lost his wife. They had only one son who was very young. And a housekeeper was hired to take care of the boy who lived only into his teens. And then he too died. Heartbroken from his second loss, the father died a short time later. No will could be found. And since there was no heirs, it looked as if the state would get the fortune. The man's personal belongings, including his mansion then, were put up for sale. And the old housekeeper had very, very little money. But there's only one thing she really, really wanted from that estate anyway, and that was a, a picture. It was a photograph. It wasn't even a painting, a, a photograph of the boy that hung in the hallway. And that's really the only thing she wanted. And so when that came up, she be, and they began to sell the items off, and that came up, the boy's picture. Nobody wanted it. Nobody had an interest except this housekeeper. Of course, she got the, the photograph, and she took it home. Thought she would take it out of its casing, you know, the glass, all that, and clean up the uh, the frame and the glass there. And as she did, a piece of paper dropped out. You can guess what the rest of that story is. It said there it was the man's will, and in it he stated that all his wealth, everything he owned, the estate and all, should go to the one who loved his son enough to buy that picture. What a picture of Mary and her love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the risen Christ, wants to flood your life, bless your life, be your God and your Savior, give you blessing upon blessing. I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity, but that blessing of joy of being forgiven, of the joy of fellowship, the joy of having Him control your life, the joy of a glorious future. He wants to bless you with those. If only you'll seek Him as Mary Magdalene sought Him with her heart filled full of love for Him. 
You see, genuine devotion to Jesus will always be greatly rewarded, both now as well as throughout all eternity. Well, we come to another group of people that I don't know if they saw Jesus after the resurrection, but they certainly were involved, and that's the guards. We come to the guards now. These men, who most likely did not see Jesus after he came out of the tomb, but they certainly experienced that event. Matthew writes of their experience, the effect it had on their lives. He says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And get this, listen carefully. Here's what it says in the scripture. And the guard shook for fear of him. They evidently saw him and became like dead men. Well, after this shaking, this fear and them becoming like dead men, the Come around finally. Some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders, they counseled together. They gave them a large sum of money to keep it to, to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. Here it goes. And they took the money. And did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. What's the principle here? Let me give you two. Number one, listen carefully. For some people, no matter what God does, no matter what God does in their life, they will not give him their attention or their heart. Think about that. For some people... No matter what God does in their life, they will not give him their attention or their heart. You know, that might describe you today. I don't know the full hearts of you out here today. I'm glad you're here. But think about your life for a moment. Has God been speaking to your heart? Has he been trying to get your attention? Has he been doing things in your life, your family, and you've sensed he's been speaking to you, but you still haven't responded to the working in your heart, your life? Listen, if that's the case, think long and hard about this next principle. But before I get to that, before I get to that, I was drawn to a portion of Scripture, Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, that is God's kindness, and tolerance and patience, not knowing, not knowing that the patience of God leads you to repentance? Isn't that something? You might say, well, if God's out there, why didn't he just step into the affairs of mankind and bring judgment? Well, he will in time. He will in time. But it's his patience, his long-suffering to you and me. He says, you're not aware that his patience leads you is to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of God. That's a frightening verse. Has God been trying to get your attention? You know, God loves us so much that he does do that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he tries periodically to get Bill's attention. Say, Bill, we need to talk. A few things need to change in your life. I'm glad he does that. That shows he loves me. That's what Hebrews 12 says. But there's a second principle here. So some people, no matter what God does in their life, they'll not give him their attention or their heart. Yesterday I was buying something and ran across this young lady and I said, well, I hope that you'll have a good resurrection Easter and hopefully you can come to church. She said, I don't go to church. I said, really? No, she says, I'm an atheist. I thought, you know, I hope God gets her attention her heart. 
There's so much that declares that God says, I'm here, I created this world. Look at the uniqueness of your body, the, the, the amazing uh, body that he has created and the universe and all of that. And he says, it screams at you. I am the living God. I want your attention. I came for you to save you. But the second principle is this. Listen carefully. The second principle we learn from these guards. When you choose not to respond to God's working in your life, when you choose not to respond to God's working in your life, God will allow others to talk you out of responding. I mean, look at this account. Soldiers out there, strong guys, I mean, well-seasoned warriors, and they're standing there guarding, making sure those apostles that were scared to death in hiding didn't come and steal that body because they knew the ramifications if that should happen. And suddenly a, an angel in all of its splendor and power, appears, and they see it. And they shake. The earth is even shaken, and they're shaking. And they become like dead men. And yet, they didn't turn to God. They didn't say, truly, this must be the Son of God, like that one centurion out there at the cross. But they would take a great sum of money instead. You see, God was trying to get their attention. God says, all right, if that's the hardness of your heart, then I'll let others, I'll let others Talk you out of responding. And that is exactly what we read here took place. Well, we come to a couple more that experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the two on the Emmaus Road meet Jesus, the risen Christ. Great story. The two on the Emmaus Road meet Jesus, the risen Christ. These two disciples of Jesus left Jerusalem on Sunday morning, the day of his resurrection, And we're walking the seven miles to Emmaus when Jesus joins them, though they're not aware that it's he. They don't recognize him. He asks them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? I love how the Lord draws us out. They stood still, looking sad. They asked him if he was the only one who didn't know about these things that had just happened in Jerusalem. I mean, you, you don't know about these things? Jesus says, what things? What things? And they said, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests, our rulers, delivered him up to the sentence of death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels. But they're women, you know, Uh who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. (laughs) Jesus responds to them. Remember now he's walking along with these two guys on this road. Oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? By the way, they had the Old Testament. They had Isaiah 53 told all about this. And then using the Old Testament scriptures, and this is one seminary I would have liked to have attended. I would have loved to have been on that road. Using the Old Testament scriptures, he explained to them the things concerning himself. And when they arrived at Emmaus, the two men invited Jesus to stay with them, which he did. And as he joined them at supper, he took some bread and he began to bless the bread. And he broke it and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened. Did not our hearts burn when he was talking to us? And he disappeared just like that. 
But they knew they had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so they immediately left to go that seven miles back to Jerusalem. And there they found the disciples there and they were telling them about them. And these two men, I'll tell you what, their world had been turned upside down, hadn't it? They were in despair. Their hope was gone. Their world was turned upside down. But when they were joined by Jesus, everything fell in its place. I like that. That means a lot to me. When you're joined by Jesus, everything falls into its place. There's a story that's told, whether it be true or not, it probably was with some people. A dad came home from a long, long day at work. And, uh, you know, he just wanted to sit down with his cup of coffee and read the paper. But he had a little girl. And the little girl kept bugging. Come on, Dad, I want to play. I want to play. Look, I, 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 want, just, I want some time out here. And she just kept bugging him. He said, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'm going to give you a puzzle of the world to work. And if you can get it all worked, then Daddy will play with you. He said, great. Okay. He knew she didn't know the pieces of the world, you know, and the countries of the world and so forth. And so she put it out on the uh, the coffee table, which was a glass t- uh, top there. And she put that out, and uh, he thought, good, now finally I can enjoy my coffee, and I can enjoy the paper, and just relax, maybe for even an hour or two, possibly. But within a few minutes, she came back and said, it's all worked. What? No, it's not. Yes, it is, Daddy, I, I, I worked it. So... He had to find out whether it was true or not. And sure enough, the, the, the puzzle of the world was completely worked. He said, I know you don't know all the countries of the world and how to go together. How in the world did you do that? Well, she said, on the other side, there's a picture of Jesus. And I just put him together. When he was together, the world was put together. Isn't that great? And you know what? It's true. That's true. And that brings me to the first principle in your outline there. If you put Jesus in his rightful place, and we need to hear this. Because there's so many, even Christians, that don't put him in the rightful place in their heart and life. If you put Jesus in his rightful place, he'll put your world back together. You put him in his rightful place, and he'll put your world back together. That's what happened to these two men on the Emmaus Road. You see, their world had fallen apart. They didn't understand these things. What was going on? I mean, we were our hope was in him, and, and they crucified him. They killed him. And in despair and discouragement, they're making this journey. And he meets them. And when he was in his right, when they put him in his rightful place, they invited him in. Their world was put back together. By the way, is that not what Jesus was saying when he addressed the church in Laodicea? That was the very carnal, worldly church. There's so much of that in the hearts of people that even those who belong to him. And what did he say to them? He said, behold, I stand at your heart's door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, there it is. That's what I hope will happen, that the Lord will speak to your heart, my heart, and that will happen this morning. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. You put Jesus in his rightful place and he'll put your world back together. But there's a second principle here. Very, very important, very uh, valid Principle number two about these two on the Emmaus Road with meet Jesus, the risen Christ. Here it is. Number two, the Bible holds the answers to your most important questions as well as your greatest need. This book, the Bible, there's no other book like it, came from God. He's the author. It's the one book that when you sit down and read it with an open heart, the author sits down all the time with you and speaks to your heart out of it. 
His revelation to you and me. The Bible holds the answer to your most important questions as well as your greatest need. It's interesting about these two men. And what did Jesus do? He opened the scriptures and began to explain from the Old Testament, their scriptures, that's all they had. Who he was, why he came, what he had done for them, and his resurrection as well. The Bible holds the answer to your most important questions as well as your greatest need. Jesus, in his day, spoke to the religious leaders. He said, you search the scriptures. You search this book, your Old Testament. Why? Because you think in them that you have eternal life. And it is these that testify of me. You want to get to know God? You want to get to know His plan? You want to walk with Him and have Him use you? Get into the Scriptures. That's what he's saying there. I love what Jeremiah the prophet wrote, and he was a prophet that had a horrible call of God in ministry because they rejected everything he said. He knew the nation was going to be brought into captivity by the Babylonians, utterly destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and yet he said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Can you say that? That's what God says to you and me. That's a promise. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And that's what happened to those two fellows on the Emmaus Road when Jesus spoke the Scriptures and and taught taught them the Scripture. I did eat them, and they became what? The joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And believe me, those two men were filled with joy. And God offers the same thing to you and me as well. We come now to another one who met the resurrected, arisen Christ, Thomas. Thomas. Remember him? One of the apostles? Luke tells us that while the two disciples who had gone to Emmaus were sharing with the disciples, because they went back to Jerusalem, and they're telling about Jesus' appearance to them, suddenly, suddenly, Jesus appears to them in that room. And he spoke to them, peace be to you. Thinking they were seeing a ghost there, fear gripped them. And therefore, he 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 he, uh, he therefore encouraged them to touch him. After which they, he ate some broiled fish and honeycomb, and then Jesus disappeared. Well, you know what happened. Thomas shows up after. He's a little late all the time. He shows up after Jesus leaves, and all the disciples said to him. Now, remember, you had the the ten there, as well as these two disciples on the Emmaus road, and and they said to him, "We have seen the Lord." Sure, you have. Sure, sure, and. Uh, but he said to them, unless I shall see in his hands the imprints of the na- his nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. One thing Thomas was convinced of, they had crucified and killed Jesus. He believed that. But he would not believe these folk, ten plus these other two, that were saying that Jesus, they had seen the resurrected Christ. Well, you know the story. I, I imagine Thomas had a really long eight days. Because eight days later, that following Sunday, while all the disciples, with Thomas now, were gathered inside, Jesus came to the door, having been shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. And immediately, immediately he says, Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas immediately responded, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, and because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. You can't really miss the principle in this one. They really stand out, both of them. Number one, today, 
Today, right now, Jesus is much closer to you than you think. Jesus is much closer to you than you think. He knows your every thought right now. He knows. The Son of God knows right now what you're thinking. He knows your every thought. Did you know Thomas's very words, even though it appeared he would, the Lord was not in that room when they were uttered? He knew them, didn't he? He heard them, yet supposedly he was not there. It reminds us of David's Psalm, Psalm 139, where he writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You thought you had your own quiet personal thoughts. God wasn't aware. David says, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. So that principle there. Today, Jesus is much closer to you than you think. He knows right now. He knows your every thought. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to be glad to get out of here and enjoy a good Easter meal. Some of you say, well, I've got to take the kids and go Easter hunt, egg hunt, and so forth. But others are saying, you know what? He does know my thoughts. Right now, he knows my thoughts. And that's precious to me. That's important to me. And that brings us to the second principle I see from Thomas. And this will be important for some of you and the others. You'll say, I already know that one. And I've already applied to my life. And that is principle number two. The faith that saves you is found in Thomas's confession. The faith that saves you is found in Thomas's confession. My Lord and my God. That's the faith that saves you. Do you want to be saved? Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth... Jesus as Lord. By the way, let's, let's understand what he's saying. If you're going to say Jesus is Lord, you're saying he is fully God. Eternally God. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. That's your innermost, that's your thought life. It's, it's, you're, you're fully convinced that God has raised him up from the dead. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. He says what? He makes his promise. God makes his promise. You confess with your mouth, uh, confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Praise the Lord. It's a gift from God, a promise from God. For with the man, hot mouth, man believes resulting, or for with the heart, man believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. Acts 4.12 puts it this way, there is salvation in no one else, no other religion, no other self-effort, but rather, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except that one name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on, the Philippian jailer would cry out to Paul, What must I do to be saved? And he would say, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But listen, let me hasten to say this. Dear ones, it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than say, Well, I believe that God is, Jesus is really God and eternally existed in the Godhead. And at one point in time, he came born of the Virgin Mary and that he lived his life perfectly. And then he went to the cross and they nailed him there and he bore all of my sins and all of my punishment, all of God's wrath for me. And on the third day, he rose again. It's more than just a head knowledge of believing that. It is your heart is saying, your mind is saying, I know it's true. And that's the only way I can be forgiven to have eternal life. That's genuine salvation. And by the way, genuine salvation will always be followed by repentance, right? 
It's an acknowledgement that you have sinned before God and that you need to be forgiven. And you're willing, with Christ's help, to live a righteous life instead of the old life. Well, we come to the next one who met the resurrected Lord. Just two more. The next person, that's Peter meets Jesus, the risen Christ. You know, Peter had a good start with the Lord, didn't he? God called him, the Lord called him, Jesus called him, and for three and a half years he walked with him, and boy, God did great things through Peter's life, as you know. In fact, uh, there's no question in his mind, this Jesus is truly the Son of God. Even Jesus one day asked his apostles, he said, who do men say that I am? And Peter bursts out, as he always did, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who's in heaven. For three years, he had enjoyed this relationship with the Lord. He fellowshiped with him. He served him. He walked with him. But then something happened. Something happened. Peter neither anticipated nor expected it to happen. In fact, Jesus tried to prepare him for what was about to take place. He said, Simon, Simon. Boy, when Jesus used your name twice, you're probably in trouble. Behold. Grab a hold of this, Peter. Simon. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter strongly asserted to the Lord, though, he said, I'll never deny you, even though the rest may deny you. I'll, I'll lay down my life. I'll walk with you. And you know what happened? It did happen, didn't it? Suddenly, and I'm probably speaking to a great number of you right now that can say, I can identify this. Suddenly, unexpectedly, you weren't, this wasn't your plan at all. Suddenly things didn't go at all like you thought it was going to happen or go. True of Peter, wasn't it? A problem too big for him to handle hit him. And he fell. He fell. Dear ones, he fell hard. He quit walking with Jesus. The problem just devastated him. He quit walking with Jesus. For him, it was over. He had turned his back on Jesus, the one he had professed earlier to be God's son. And now instead of joy and peace and fellowship, he was filled with bitterness and anger and disappointment, discouragement. He was living a very, very troubled life. But Jesus, but Jesus would never leave his child in such a condition for very long. Jesus would see that his prayer for Peter was answered. In fact, he would answer it himself. Remember those two on the Emmaus Road? They met the Lord there in, 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 the, in that meal, and they walked that seven miles back, and they're so excited because they saw the living Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected. And what happened? Those in the upper room said to the two from Emmaus, some really insightful words. Listen carefully to what this is so important. Listen to them. They said to the two guys, The Lord really has risen. And He has appeared to Simon. Did you get that? And He's appeared to Simon. That's Peter. The resurrected Lord sought Him out. Even before He revealed Himself to the rest of the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul testifies of Jesus' resurrection, he writes, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and He's appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. He's appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. What's the principle? Some of you need to hear this so desperately. You need to hear this. Principle number one, Jesus already knows what's coming your way. He already knows. What's coming your way? And how are you going to respond to it? Whether you're going to fail or be victorious. 
And he's standing in the gap for you. One of the great joys of my heart, having studied this book, which is his love letter to you and me, is this. Those he saves, those he genuinely saves, he gets every single one of them safely home to heaven. By the way, when we fall, he doesn't want to keep us in that position, obviously. That's why he disciplines us. That's why he comes to us as he did to Peter. He stands in the gap for us. He's not only my redemption, my righteousness, he is also my sanctification. That means my holy living. Jesus is all. That's why we often have up here in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He is everything. Well, that brings us to, but let me ask you this. What, what is it that has knocked you off balance and caused you to stop walking with him? And so many have. You know what the Lord says, even more as we get toward the end time, more and more of this is going to happen. What is it? What is it? But you know what? The Lord still loves you. He stands in that gap continually interceding for you and comes to you to pick you up, to restore you back into that wonderful place of fellowship with him. And that brings us to the second principle from the life of Peter. Number two, principle number two, Jesus, the risen Christ, has come today to meet you and to restore your relationship back to him. That's why he came to Peter. That's why he came and why he comes to me and why he comes to you again and again. Jesus, the risen Christ, has come today to meet you, to restore your relationship back to him. Peter and the disciples, they didn't know what to do with their life. So Peter and a few of the disciples, they went back, what to do? Fishing. Went fishing. And this is, this is such a classic story. They fished all night and what? Tell me, you know, caught nothing. Caught nothing. These are professional fishermen. Fished all night, but God saw to it that they caught nothing. God's hand at work in there, isn't it? Well, he is on the shoreline. There's a stranger there and he yells out, children, you do not have any fish, do you? I'm not sure how I would have taken that. Having spent all night not catching any fish. They yell back, no! <laughs> the stranger yells out again to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. You know, it had to be God working in the life because I'm not sure I would have done that either. But he does that, doesn't he? And you think you're not going to do it because the hand of God is so mightily working in your life. You do do it. And they did it and they caught 153 big fish. They were shocked their nets didn't break. They were shocked they had so many fish. And Peter immediately, in fact, I think it was John, said, it's the Lord. <laughs> it's the Lord. And Peter dies. He throws out the opportunity. He dives in the water. That's Peter for you. And he swam to the shore to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to his heart there. After breakfast, he said three times, Peter, do you love me? Doesn't he ask you and me that? And I walk with him. Do you love me? Boy, hit to the core because three times and three times Peter denied him. He said, Lord, you know, you know I love you. You know that. And then the Lord said to him, Then tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. What was he doing? Restoring Peter. Restoring him to his apostleship even. Forgiven. Completely forgiven. This one who denied him and restored to ministry. Jesus, the risen Christ, has come today to meet you and to restore your relationship back to him. I think it reminded this story in Brazilian village small little village. There were this mother and her daughter only there in this little hut, hovel, dirt floor, just a, a couple of mats for beds and, and hardly anything else for furnishing. And uh, But Marie knew the joy of the Lord and she had a little bit of income because she worked. And uh, But every, every, every day her daughter kept talking more and more because she's a teenager now about she wanted to go to the big city. 
I'm going to go to the big city. Your mother said, no, you don't want to go to the big city. Look at it. God's meeting our needs here, and, and, and you need to stay. And mom, I, I want to go to the big city. Someday, I'm just going to go to the big city. Well, one day, Maria came home from work, and indeed, her daughter was gone. And she knew where she had gone. And she knew what she had to do. She took what little bit of money she had, and it wasn't much, and she went to Rio de Janeiro, the big city. And there she had, she had got one of those little booths, you know, they had years ago, and took a picture of herself, and took as many pictures of herself as she could, and then she went all over the city in different places. She probably thought her daughter would end up hovels, some hotels, uh, some, some uh, brothels, some bathrooms where she might show up for water or use the restroom, and she taped a picture of herself in all these places and went home discouraged without her daughter, hoping that somehow God would reach her daughter and save her from all that life in the city and bring her back home. Well, Christina finally came to the end of herself. She was worn out, empty, had no money, had no friends, no place to turn. And she went to a dirty public restroom and suddenly she saw a picture that looked very familiar to her. And it was her mom. And below it, her mom had written these words, Whatever you become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. She did. That's the picture of Jesus and Peter. And dear ones, I reach out with you to you. The Lord reaches out to you through this message, I hope. And some of you really need to come home. The Lord loves you. Something's happened in your life. It's been terrible. It's been hard. And you've stopped walking with him like Peter and you're discouraged and you're frustrated and angry. And the Lord says, listen, it doesn't matter. Just come home. Just come home. Peter did. So did Christina. We come to our last one this morning. Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus meets Jesus, the risen Christ. When we first meet Saul on the pages of Scripture, we meet a very religious, dedicated, super disciplined man. He hated this Jesus and his followers and set out to destroy the movement once for all. Without a doubt, he had been affected by the testimony of Stephen, though. He was there when they stoned Stephen, but Stephen beforehand had had convincingly proved from the Scriptures that this Jesus who had been crucified and who had been raised from the dead was indeed their promised Messiah. He was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Saul had consented to Stephen's death. He even went further than that, though he got permission to travel to Damascus and seek to apprehend any who followed this Jesus in this way. But as you know the story, as he was nearing Damascus, suddenly... A bright light, and I love it because when God wants to get old somebody, he gets a hold of that somebody. A bright light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice out of heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember that when you think of your brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted. The Lord says they're persecuting him. They're not alone in this. He stands with him. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. There it is. Stephen had testified to it. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise, enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. That encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ forever, forever transformed that man's life. You know that. It transformed his life. He became the greatest missionary this world has ever known, going throughout the whole Roman Empire. And what was he proclaiming? That Jesus is a Son of God who was nailed to a cross for your sins and bore your punishment and the wrath of God and on the third day was raised up again. That's what he preached. And salvation is to be found 
only in his name. Principle number one, you cannot keep going the same way once you met Jesus, the risen Lord. You can't keep going this, cannot keep going the same way once you meet, once you've met Jesus, the risen Christ. You can't. Later on, and this is true of every person who gets saved because of what scripture says. Later on, God would direct Paul to write these words. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Has that happened to you? We celebrate Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday. And I would ask you, has that happened to you? Only Jesus Christ can completely transform a person from the inside out. Isn't that beautiful? This is not Reformation. This is not a religion. This is not being a Baptist or whatever. Only Jesus Christ can fully forgive you of all your sins and make you a child of God born into His family through the Holy Spirit. Only He can do that. Only the resurrected Jesus Christ can give you and me eternal life. And that brings us to our last principle in our message this morning from the life and ministry of Saul of Tarsus who became the great apostle Paul. Principle number two. Our final final principle. Jesus' resurrection brings either eternal life or eternal judgment to each and every person. No exceptions. Jesus' resurrection brings either eternal life or eternal judgment to each and every person. Listen to how Paul concluded his message to those in Athens. He said to them, and now he says to you and me, God through his words, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, maybe that's where you are. It's all been kind of a religious journey. Maybe you're like that gal that says, well, I'm an atheist. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all, that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Do you get that last part? God says, I've already fixed today, and I've appointed the man who's going to do the judging of the whole world, of every single person. And I fixed that day, and I have given proof who is going to do it, because I have raised him up from the dead. What does it mean to repent? He says that every man everywhere should repent. What does that mean? Maybe this little illustration will help. Stories told of a duke who boarded a galley ship, went below to talk to the criminals that were manning the oars. He asked several of them what their offenses were. And you know what happened. I'm innocent. I don't belong here. I was unjustly accused. One guy said, well, the judge was paid off, and that's why I got accused and ended up here manning the oars. Each one claimed that he's innocent, blamed someone else, and so forth. But one fellow, one fellow, however, replied, sir, I'm here because I deserve to be here. Why do you deserve to be here? I stole some stuff that wasn't mine. I got caught, and I'm guilty. Upon hearing this, the duke shouted, you scoundrel, you! You scoundrel! What are you doing here with these honest men? What are you doing here? Get out of their company at once. The duke ordered that this prisoner be released. He was set free while the rest were left to tug at the oars. He found freedom by admitting he was guilty. And that's what it means to repent. I said to God, I am a sinner. I'm guilty. My mom is here and I'm glad she's here. She's 92. I'm glad she's here. If she can remember back to those days when I was a little kid, who got into the cookies? My brothers and sisters were guilty as I was, but I couldn't keep a smile off my face, and so I got the wrath. Who got the stuff in the refrigerator? 
Not me, Mom. I hear him smiling from ear to ear, you know. You see, finally come place before the Lord, though. I said, you know, Lord, I am a sinner, just like that Sunday school teacher taught. I'm a sinner. I believe that if I died right now in my situation, I'd go to hell. I believe that. I don't want to go to hell. My Sunday school teacher tells me that, Jesus, you came and you died on that cross. You were nailed there and you bore all my sins. You bore all my deserved punishment. All the wrath of God was poured out upon you. And you cried out at the end when you finally had borne, God said you had borne enough. It is finished. What does he mean? It's paid in full. I paid your price in full. And now you're telling me, Sunday school teacher, if I'll ask Jesus to come into my heart, he'll come in and save me and forgive my sin and give me eternal life. That's exactly what happened. And everybody else that's in this room that God saved, got saved the same way. Dear ones, again, what did Paul say? Jesus' a resurrection, Jesus resurrection brings to either eternal life or eternal, or eternal judgment to each and every person. So I hope this morning, like these that we've talked about, Mary Magdalene, the two on the Emmaus Road, Thomas, Peter, I love him, forgiven Peter, forgiven, restored, come home, come home. Saul of Tarsus, by conclude with the last one by way of reminder, the guards. Refusing and ignoring God's promptings can only bring his judgment. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to celebrate your son's resurrection. With all my heart, this is the greatest day of the Christian calendar, Lord. What a joy fills my heart to know that you bore my sins, bore my deserved punishment, bore the wrath of God, and then you cried out, it is finished. And on the third day, God, you proved your complete satisfaction with the payment that was made in full for me. And for every person that's in this auditorium that's heard my voice, you paid it in full for everyone. And you proved it, God, by raising your son up from the dead. I pray, Lord, speak to the hearts of people here. If there are those that are here that are really not genuinely saved, they've never experienced the Holy Spirit causing them to be born again, getting wonderfully saved, becoming a new creation, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will move in their heart today to say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I repent of my sin. I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. I want to have eternal life. I want to go to heaven. Come into my heart and save me now. But Father, there's a number of people here that are saved, but like Peter, things really went wrong. They've stopped walking with you. They're just out in the world floundering like Christina, and they need to see that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, their resurrected Lord and Savior. Underneath it says, come home. Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. Just come home. May they do that. In Jesus' your name I pray. Amen.